JG Nendra, welcome to Adults Class 2, Practical Applications of Jainism. Let's start with the Navkarma. Namo Arihantanam, Mositsunam, Ayaryanam, Namo Kusjayanam, Isafasaldam, Esopanjimukaro, Sarvapa, Parasno, Mandalalam, Chesavisim, Paranam, Abhayamala. As you may know, getting started is the hardest part of any journey. And your spiritual journey is no different. One of the questions people most often have is, where do I start with Jainism? And the answer is to start anywhere that you're interested in. Because every starting road leads to every other concept. However, sometimes people need uh, more direction than that. So today, I thought it would be good to discuss some good on-ramps to Jainism. Can you just close the door for me? Oh, somebody's coming. Sorry. Thank you to everybody coming in. Today, I thought it would be good to discuss some good on-ramps to Jainism. And if you're already on the path, Huh? <laughs> Welcome, JG Nandra. And if you're already on the path, it'll be a good refresh. Hi, come on in. So the best place to begin is always with the end in mind. You always want to begin with the end in mind. So what is the end goal? Moksha. Moksha, that's right. <laughs> Why should I get to moksha when I'm doing pretty okay where I am? Why do I want to get there? You want a better thing in life, and we heard that it's the best thing to achieve in life. Right, because it's a place of infinite bliss. Okay, you've convinced me. So how do I get to moksha? And what's stopping me from getting there? 18 no, it is your karma that's stopping you from getting to moksha, right? So, okay, so great, we're on the way. So that's great. I think that's the best place to start, is with the end in mind. Because we get to all those questions, right? We get to the karma, we get to, um, well, I'm a soul, so I have, to, I have to go to moksha, and then you start there. I think that's the perfect on-ramp, is to start with the end in mind. So the majority of us don't believe that we're souls. Uh, one epiphany that I had is I asked the class to raise their hand if they believe they're a soul, and almost nobody raised their hand, so I'll try it again. <laughs> raise your hand if you believe you're a soul. More this time, I think. <laughs> uh, that's better. Um, so, that's great. So, one of the best places to start with Jainism is the four kashayas. Because even if you're not convinced you're a soul, even if you think there's no afterlife, even if you think Jainism is just too ridiculous to believe, you certainly can understand that your quality of life will improve if you get rid of your passion. That is, your quality of life right now. So you might as well start working on them while you figure out whether you're a soul or not. Does anybody remember what the four kashayas are? That's right. Anger, which is called krodh. Ego, which is called man, maya, deceit, which is called maya, and greed, which is called lo. 
And you may not know this, but they're in that particular order for a reason. Because it goes from easiest to get rid of to hardest to get Hard rid of. Believe it or not, anger is the easiest. And that's how much of a battle we have right now. We can't get rid of our anger, but it's the easiest one. And I remind you again, like I reminded you last year, if you start working on your anger now, you can get rid of it by the time I remind you again next year. It's hard, but it's still the easiest. And you can do it in this life. And some of us have done it, and I've seen it. So you can get rid of your anger in this life. And it will have tremendous knock-on effects for the quality of your life, even if you don't believe in Jainism, even if you don't believe in your soul. You might as well increase the quality of your life right now, which is what this class is all about. Uh, ego is the next one. Um, deceit is the next one, and greed is the next one. Greed is so hard to get rid of that you can slide all the way back to anger if you don't get rid of your greed. That is, once you get rid of one of them, you have to keep at it. You, you can slide back to getting into it. It's not like it's done forever once you get rid of it. Um, and so, because greed, you can be greedy about Jainism. You can be greedy about getting rid of your karma. You can be greedy about your spiritual progress, right? Uh, we, of course, know the famous story of Gautam Swami, right? Who was, it, it was so subtle, his attachment to Mavir Swami, that it was the only thing keeping him back, right? So that's how hard greed is to get rid of. In fact, most of Jainism is like that. That is, e even if you don't believe it, if you practice it, it will increase the quality of your life right now. Questions or comments about that? How do you get rid of anger? How do you get rid of anger? Any thoughts? Well, first you have to understand. First, you have to understand what causes anger. Does anybody remember what causes anger? Uh, expectations. Anger is caused by the mismatch between reality and your expectations. Okay, can you change reality? No, you can't change what happened. The only thing you can change is your expectations. And I once again renew my challenge for anyone to come up one of the corollaries to that because anger is caused by the mismatch between reality and expectations. The corollary is that all anger is directed at the self. There's no scenario you can think of where your anger is directed at somebody else. And I once again renew my challenge. Can anybody think of any scenario where anger is not directed at the self? Whenever you get angry, you are getting angry at yourself. No takers? <laughs> You look like you're in thought. Is there a scenario you can think of? When was the last time you got angry? Um, no, never angry. Oh, that's great. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> Perfect. Nobody can think of any scenario where anger is not directed at the self. Perfect. So those are the places to start with anger. And so once you catch yourself being angry, you get rid of it by creating a short circuit in your mind. That is, you take deep breaths, you count to 10, you look at the bigger picture, you try to get out of those emotions. So 
First of all is that first attack of emotion. You have to stop that somehow. You have to get yourself out of it and thinking about it. And the best way to do it is to, all of you believe apparently it's true that anger is directed at yourself. So the last time I got angry, I thought, how is this directed at me? I'm angry at that person. How is this directed at me? And that got me thinking about something else other than that emotion that was trying to hijack my brain. So that's what, that's what I do to help. But other people do different things. Other people take a look at the bigger picture. Other people remember they're going to die very soon, no matter how young you are. And that is not worth getting angry at this particular situation. Uh, other people have different ways of dealing with it. So uh, the first thing to do is to, to deal with your anger is to realize the causes. The second thing to do is come up with the solution to confront that first attack that you can rely on. And the third solution is to come up with a long-term solution that blunts that first attack so much it never even happens. Other questions or comments? That sounds good in theory, but in practical life, it's not that easy to follow. Oh, sure, it's easy to say. I've got the easiest job. I tell you the thing. <laughs> it's very easy to say. It's very hard to do. And the whole... Right, exactly, exactly. The whole purpose of this class is to take Jainism outside of these four walls and take it into our life. So I want to discuss ways to do that because it's no use if we just sit here and talk. I don't care about sitting here and talking, but this is the only time I have with you. This is the only time I get to affect your life. And so I want to help you take Jainism into your life to increase the quality of your life right now. That's the whole, for controlling anger, it's like count to 10, that's the whole purpose is to like, think about why you're getting angry. Right. So that's one of the practical like application, you know, count to 10, but you have to have a discipline to be able to yeah. count to 10. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like anything else, once you practice, you become better at it. And it's the hardest part is the first step. Most of the time, the anger is directed towards your kids, right? Because you have a lot of expectations as a parent. And yeah, it's just not healthy. And at a point, you do realize, but you can't stop expecting better from this. So. Right. And I think it's also, especially with kids and family, because that's, those are the people that you can think you can control. So you're just mm -hmm. trying to, instead of you can't control yourself, so you're trying to control the kids. Right, right. And that's where a majority of our anger is, uh, where it comes from, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's because we love our kids so much. <laughs> if somebody else did something, we were like, okay, that person's crazy, yeah, crazy. <laughs> but when it's your son or daughter that's crazy, you're like, why is my son or daughter acting like that? <laughs> no, remembering they are also soul. Right. And they could be older soul than us. Um, of course. They could be in their path much ahead than us will help you kind of redirect your thoughts sometimes. Very hard to. I try to do that with my Very kid. Hard. Remember that they're a soul just like me. They're as old as I am. How do you convince them of the value of a minute, right? It's People trying to convince them of a value of a dollar, but how do you convince them of a value of a minute? <laughs>
like you said, you know, so hard to count. And then you're so angry at them. So reality is not changing. Correct. So that means you just bring down your energy to the earth. Right, because let's say uh, you're driving and somebody cuts you off and you get angry at that person. Well, you knew that was a possibility when you entered the car, that somebody would cut you off. So why get angry about it? You just forgot that you knew. Yeah. And you're getting angry at yourself that you forgot you knew. That is the easy part, but when we are talking about this family situation, right. kid, right. some real expectations, yeah. which are unreas not unreasonable. Of course not, of course not. <laughs> Let's say your kid fails the test. Right? Yeah, he's worried we're lowering our expectations too low. So, right, no, I understand. Yeah. Uh, this is a common uh, criticism, right? Let's say your child fails a test, right? And you get angry at them because they know the importance of it. They know how they're supposed to get good grades to get into college. You knew that was a possibility. Every time your child takes a test, you know that there's a possibility that they'll fail. And when you get angry at them, you're getting angry at yourself because you forgot about that possibility. But it's possible to have expectations without the anger. That is, it's possible to have expectations and correct that expectation, but not get angry. So if your child fails a test, you create a plan. You say, okay, here's the plan. We're gonna use our TV time in the evening. We're gonna use that to study for this particular test, okay? I'm going to help you. We're gonna do this, and we're gonna have this expectation. But what does anger have to do with it? Nothing, right? You didn't have to get angry to do all that stuff. <laughs> because you plan all this. Yeah. <laughs> on it with the plan. Still, that was always a possibility that they'll fail the new plan. So it is usually, you know, how much patience you can have at that given time. Right. And sometimes you just blow it off, meaning right. you've told them several times and then still they go back, play ping pong or do something else. And then again, you are in the situation where you have to start right. screaming or yelling. And you and you think that it's personal, right? They're doing it to attack you or they're, they're doing it to push your buttons, right? And that's where your ego comes into play, which is the second kashaya, right? All right, so another good on-ramp for Jainism is karma. So a lot of people know about karma. It's in a general consciousness. You know, everybody in the world knows that there's some concept that exists um, that's called karma. So people are interested in it. So Jainism, of course, has eight karma. Does anybody remember any of the eight types of karma? Nana Varnia, Darshana Right, yeah, very good. That's all eight. Very good. So, uh, Nanavarniya karma is knowledge obscuring karma. Darshanavarniya karma is perception obscuring karma. Vedniya karma is uh, about feelings and sensual feelings and material pleasures, um, the material feelings that we have. Moniya karma is sometimes called the king of all karma. It's deluding karma because if you have this, if you have a lot of this, you can't work on anything else because you don't believe in the truth when presented with the truth because you can't recognize the truth. Um, you don't have good samyatnan, darshan, and charitra. That is, you don't have good knowledge. And even if you had good knowledge, you wouldn't be able to act on it. And even if you could act on it, you wouldn't have the right feelings about it. All right? Um, so that's a very one of the most important ones. Uh, Ayusha karma is your lifespan determining karma. That is, around two-thirds of your this life, 
is your Ayusha karma for your next life is determined. Nam karma is your body determining karma, determines the physical characteristics of your body. Gotra karma is your status determining karma, it determines what family you're born into, what class you're born into, whether you're going to be rich or poor, things like that. And antaraya karma is your obstacle creating karma, that is, how good are you at overcoming obstacles? So this is like a lot, right? This is a lot to get into. There's uh, That was kind of a brief overview of karma. Uh, but if you're interested in karma, then you can get into each one of these a lot because there's a lot of detail about each one of these. And especially once you get into the types, after you get into that, you get into, well, how do they attach and how do you get rid of them and how do you block them and you're on your way. Questions about that? All right, another good on-ramp to Jainism is uh, many people are people-oriented, um, and so they like to learn about other people. And so if you're the type of person that likes to read biographies, then a good way to start with Jainism is to read about Mahavir, right? Mahavir was our last Tirthankar. He set up this fourfold order of the Jain system that we're currently under, which is why we respect him. Um, and maybe after you're done with learning about Mahavir, you can learn about the other Tirthankars. That's a pretty good way to spend your time and to learn about different things. Um, so Mahavir's life can be kind of broken up into several um, phases. So first we talk about uh, his early life. Of course, he, like all Tirthankars, are born into the Kshatriya class. And he was born, his name was Vardhaman, and he was born about 599 BC. And he was born in the town of Kundagram near present-day Bihar in India. He was born to King Siddhartha and Queen Trishula, who of course had the 14 dreams that let her know that she was going to give birth to a Tirthankar. The next phase uh, after uh, growing up was his renunciation phase. He renounced the world at 30 and he left behind his princely status and his uh, royal family. What? Oh, does anybody remember the story of why Mahavir renounced? Right. And what did he see from his carriage? Does anybody remember that part? All the people. All the people sufferings, I believe. Right. So there's a whole story behind it. Right. Right. Uh, I can't tell you the story in detail, but that would be something good to have homework for. Um, so at 30, he renounces the world and he spends 12 years uh, being an ascetic, okay, doing a bunch of nirdra. And at the age of 42, he achieves Kevalnyan. So I have a couple more days before <laughs> <laughs> on, on, my, on my journey here. All right. So. And then after uh, achieving Kevalnyan at 42, then he starts preaching for 30 years. All right, that's when he sets up the fourfold order. And then at 72, he achieves Nirvana in Papapuri, Bihar. Those are kind of the main phases of his life. So early life, renunciation, ascetic life, and then preaching. So he always stayed around Bihar, or he, he, did, he didn't travel much, right? He didn't travel that, that much, no, but he did travel on foot.
So if you're the type of person that likes biographies, you probably like history too. So a good way on ramp for Jainism is to learn about Jain history. And for that, I'll refer you to the book. Um, there's quite a bit on Jain history, and it's in. Uh, let's see, it's at the end of the book, it's chapter twenty-seven. Uh, you can learn all about the Jain history, and also what's very interesting is the physical evidence that we have of Jainism. We have some artifacts and things um, from. Uh, the time period that Jainism was set up, including Mahavir's life. Okay, questions or comments about that? I read about um, the scriptures. There's a lot of the original scriptures, but I guess my question is, is the language readable in today's world like you can't read it yeah they're no. jain agams and there are certain temples that are jain temples in india that are very holy because they're protectors of the agams they have those scriptures and you can see them uh some of our members uh of adult class two have went to india and saw them and gave us videos of them and so you can see them uh if you ask to see them and they'll let you see them but you'll not be able to read them they're have they been Brockman. translated into yes. Chinese language? Yes, they have. They're in Brockman. It's a language. <laughs> before Sanskrit. Before, before Sanskrit. Before Sanskrit. I guess there are people who can read Sanskrit. Yes, yeah. Okay. Uh, sorry, I meant you can't read them. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and that's important because it's important for us to know where they are, and many people don't know that. If you go there, you can see them, and they will happily show you. Surat, Surat, Surat Ma, Surat Vidasmantir, Yeah. That's great. Have you seen them? Oh, great. Oh, great. I can see the light in your face. That means you've seen the Agams. Hi, come on in. Agams have been translating in... So, in, yes. 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 Oh, great. Are they really scientific based? Like, I don't know if you've read any of them. Is it more science or? It's not science, like Agams or But if you think deeply, then you will see the science in it. It doesn't It's the truth. So science have been, has been confirming confirming Jainism many times. Um, there are many ways in which science has confirmed Jainism. Uh, one is the existence of a soul. It's yeah. proven by science because of the hard problem of consciousness, which has no answer. The second is Jainism predicted that time was indivisible, which is not at all intuitive. A lot of people think time is analog. That is, you can just divide the amount of time you oh, one amount of time infinitely, but that's not true. There's actually time is discrete, and there's actually a shortest amount of time you can have. Jainism predicted that. Uh, Jainism predicted um, that two things can be true at once. We talked about that uh, a little while ago. So, so it's not about science based. Jainism is the truth, and science is confirming Jainism all the time because science is devoted to discovering the truth as well. That's interesting. I'd be I'd be interested in like reading some of that, but I just didn't know if I would be able to like, read it in my language. Yes, you can read it in your language. Do you read Gujarati? 
Uh, a little bit, but it, it takes a really long time. But English would be the easiest for me. The problem with reading in English is that the words <clears throat> they don't translate well, and then I don't understand the meaning of it. Right. I have to again Google those words. Yeah. So, so even in the book, there there are some hard words right. that you really have to stop reading, try to understand those words, Google them, or whatever. Mm. Yeah, and the context of the word changes, changes, and it's important. Like, I'm trying to tell my kids right that. People think that they can look up a word in the thesaurus mm -hmm. and then just use the word that's in the thesaurus and plug it into wherever they had the original word. And that's not true. That's we know that's not true because each word, even though they mean the same thing, have different contexts and are used in different ways. And how do you know that? You just have to read. Mm -hmm. like, you just have to have, have 30 years of reading and that's <laughs> how you know because I can tell you that, hey, come on in. Now's a great time to remember. Arya is a soul, just like you, and she is as old as you, and she might even be older than you, right, Arya? That's right. Uh, and so this is one of those things that when you look at a word, you're looking at the translated word, and then you go look up the original word, and you think you have it, but no, you don't, because to understand it, you have to have, like, you just have to have been reading for 20 years and understand how that word is used, right? So it's hard, but it's doable. Yeah. And most importantly, I don't want to discourage you. The concepts are the same. The yeah. concepts, it's like the minutia of the words doesn't matter as long as you understand the concept. And the concepts are easy to understand. Okay, so many people are scientific. So that's a good on-ramp to Jainism for all my scientific people. You can start with the shape of the universe and Jain cosmology, including the six substances. Um, so the shape of the universe is like this. Okay, it looks like uh, a person standing with their arms like this and their legs spread out. So it looks like a person like this. All right, that's the shape of the universe, except it's 3D. Okay, this is just 2D. So imagine if I was like turning around, mm -hmm. that's the shape of the universe. It's conical sections. Okay. But is that proven by science? I have never seen a material that kind of <laughs> proves that that universe is really kind of that kind of shape. Sure. Um, the problem is, is that when science talks about the observable universe, so as you may or may not know, um, okay, so let me get some scratch paper here for you. All right. Okay. So I'll tell you the problem. Okay. So the shape of the universe is like this. That's a 2D though. This is actually 3D, right? Okay. Where we are is here right where we are is here right? right these are heavens right there's certain levels of heavens heavens here there's certain levels of hell here and there's Siddhisila here right? right okay so now if you look at the middle part you look at it top down okay it's concentric circles okay they're like uh i'll have to look up how many but if we're looking at this middle plane from the top down concentric circles right right we're in this one yeah, the middle one. Middle. We call it Mount Meru because this is land, okay? But when we say land, it's all of the observable universe, okay? It's everything science has ever discovered, okay, is in here, okay? This is ocean. This is more land. This is more ocean. This is more land, okay? So all of the observable universe is in here, and past that is an ocean. 
So science has not confirmed that past the observable universe is an ocean because we cannot see past the observable so universe. So are we saying that there is a floating ocean somewhere in the space? That's right. That's counterintuitive, right? Like we are saying that there is a huge water body. It's counterintuitive that time is indivisible. It's counterintuitive that you have a soul. Just because it's hard for you to imagine doesn't mean it's not true. That is, there's no bias for intuitiveness in reality. It could be that the world is something we cannot understand with our brains. Mm -hmm. That's extremely counterintuitive. Mm -hmm. But there's no mandate that the world has to be such that um, the brain of a human can understand it. And so, if you tell me that there is a three-dimensional ocean past the observable universe, I mean, that's one of the kind of things I can easily accept once I understand uh, how crazy the universe is. Okay, so um, we were talking about a good place to start is the physics of the world. So we talked about the shape of the universe. Um, of course, the six substances are, does anybody remember the six substances? Uh, any physics people? Okay, one is Jeev, souls, Ajeev, um, matter, sorry, Putgal, which is matter, okay? Dharma, which is a medium of motion, that is, in the entirety of this, there's, it's filled with Dharma, which is the medium of motion. Outside of this, it's filled with Adharma, which is the medium of rest. There's Akash, which is space, and Kal, which is time. So if you like to learn about science, you'll love to learn about all of these because they all have properties um, there's a flow of time. Um, as I mentioned, time is indivisible. There's also characteristics of space, which have been proven true. There's mediums of motion, mediums of rest, matter, and um, jeev. All right. <clears throat> Another good on-ramp for Jainism is people that are musical might find prayers and hymns a good way to start. Okay? What is the purpose of a hymn? Sutra or stuti? Why should we learn that? More of a meditative, like you're concentrating on something. Right. Because if you're singing a hymn, you're not distracted by <laughs> thoughts of sensual pleasure, right? That's right. a good way to fill your brain with something other than what it's normally filled with. A good purpose of a hymn is to remember, we put things to music that we want to remember. So if you want to remember every state in the United States, it helps to learn a song. It helps to put it to song. So if you want to remember the concepts of Jainism, it helps to put them to song, right? Mm. It's easy to remember. And if it's easy to remember, it's easier to apply to your life. Okay? That is, if you sing it on the drive, then you won't be mad when somebody cuts you off because you just sang a song about not being angry. <laughs> and you just remembered that that's one of your goals, right? That's your mantra. It brings it to the front of your mind. And what better way to bring something to the front of your mind than to make it so catchy you can't get it out of your head. So that's why we need to put these Jane lyrics to pop songs, right? Instead of these pop songs getting stuck in our head, we need to have these sutras and stutis stuck in our head. Okay, what is the purpose of prayer? Same thing, okay? <laughs> it's not a trick question. Yeah. It's the same thing. It's the same thing we, we just talked about. All right. 
can this class do a Mari Genthi presentation, uh, cultural presentation with pop song? <laughs> I, would, yeah, I, would, I would love it. You know what I would like to, is I would like to put the English words to music. Yes. All right? I want to go into the temple and be able to say, I bow down to the Arihants instead of Namo Arihanta Nam. Because that's the future. Okay? That's the future in this country. And if I do that, people are going to look at me the wrong way in the temple if I start speaking English. I don't want that to be the case. I don't think so, because I think it's important to understand what you're saying. Right, yeah. So that's, I think that's something I struggle with. Um, because I've lost so much Gujarati, uh, the sutras, I don't, I don't connect with them because I don't understand what they mean. This is the problem. Okay. Even if you know Gujarati, some people don't know what they mean. Yeah. I, my father-in-law, we, we, we were doing English Pratikaman, and then we said, let's do it together in English. And he did, he's like, this is the first time I understood what the Pratikaman was at age, you know, 60. So like I never understood what the Pratikaman was. I was doing it all my life. And if the point is to remind you about Jain concept, then what good is it to know this Pratikaman or the Stuti without knowing what it means? Mm -hmm. what, what good are you doing yourself? You're just deluding yourself yeah, that you're doing something good. If you're speaking good. gibberish if you don't know what it means. Like exactly. you're saying these words without any meaning or context. And it's, I don't know, it can't connect with this. Yeah, that's why it's one of my dreams to put these English words to this music and to have an English Sutratan book. Because that's the future of Jainism in this country. I had a similar conversation with Marat Sam many years back, and like, why it is not easy to follow Sutra? And uh, the response was, and I see uh, that Marat Sahib's uh, perspective that when you translate, it is like you're passing the message, right? Sure, of course. And, and it will get, uh, Skewed. Yeah. You don't have the history behind those exactly. words. You have kind of a different history. Yeah. Yeah. You might change the meaning. They just don't, don't exist. Yes. Exactly. To the, that the and then the pronunciation, all of that, it all changes. And I think that is why that's the other perspective. You try to of course. go back to the source. There are trade-offs. I'm not saying they're not trade-offs. Yeah. I'm saying that the trade-offs are worth it. Maybe it's ten percent loss. Still, you get ninety percent in English. But after That's seven generations, it's seventy percent loss is mm -hmm. the issue there, right? Probably. But yeah. So the no, no, wait, no. It's just a one tele, one, one link of telephone. <laughs> after seven generations, it's not seven links of telephone. It's just one into mm -hmm. English, and then the seventh generation has the same English version. Uh, over so like centuries, as well, that happened in Gujarati anyway. But no, I, 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 I they, 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 one, they don't understand. They never say the words correctly. The other thing is their tongue doesn't roll that way. So they are never saying the correct stress to begin with. And they don't understand. So, yeah. not. so there, there's zero meaning in what there's, I'm saying or they're saying right now. We, we have no idea what we're saying. I used to think that it was a waste of time for Arya to learn without understanding the meaning. But I changed my mind on that. Like, she learns it, and then we'll fill in the meaning later. Because it's easy for kids to memorize gibberish words with music. And then once we do it, when we do it at night, we talk about the meaning and the meaning of each word. Um, 
I think that that's still okay. Ideally, yeah, they would want to learn the meaning along with it. But it's okay if they memorize it at first, and then we'll fill in the meaning later. I think the the red books, like right before this class starts, there's a in the prayer hall they do. They have the red folders. Some of them have the English meaning right below it. Right, I yeah. think that's an excellent idea. Yeah, but I want to be able to say it in English. Yeah. Sure. They do. And if you don't think people are going to look at me crazy if I do that in the temple, they might excommunicate me if I do that. Oh, uh, for I've, sure. I've seen it. Just to clarify, that book. Yeah. You read that book. Yeah. If you look at it, it's actually the Gujarati part in English. So written in multiple languages. It's not always a literal translation of what that always means. So some of them will have it, some of them some don't. Of them don't yeah. uh, but usually it's an English bifurcation of that, mm -hmm. of whatever's written in Gujarati. You're saying, you're saying phonetic. Phonetic. It's right. English text, but it's right. Gujarati right. words. It's all that transliteration. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. there's some that there's a meaning yeah. at the bottom, yeah. but there's some that don't. Yeah. If you just see English words, it's actually the phonetics of the Gujarati part that's written. Yeah, yeah, that's just easy. We, for we tried to yeah. do that. We actually tried to do it in three languages, Hindi, Gujarati, and English, and then we couldn't do it, and then we just printed. The beginners where it's a one-line sutra, but then explains the, the English. Sort of, yeah, yeah. Like that, yeah. Oh, actually, there's actually now MP3 files. I think your mom has sent me those that, you know, they do the the sequence of the sutras that you know they teach, they actually have it in the proper pronunciation uh, in a, a digital file where you can listen to it. So it because a part of it is that if you're just reading it, you may not be saying it properly. As it's but it doesn't explain the the meaning of no, the but lines. Going back to Tim's original comment, like part of it is you got to learn it first, and then you can backfill it maybe. Better. And I think that's the same story in India too. Like if in India, the kids, they don't speak the same language that, uh, that, that Sutra. Yeah. So they, 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 yeah, so they also first memorize it, just like how the kids do it over here. And when they grow up, when they don't want to learn new Sutra, they try to go back and uh, learn the meanings of it. I mean, that's a typical condition. When they don't want to learn new Sutra. <laughs> So we talked about good on-ramps to Jainism. Let's talk about bad ones. Um, don't, if you're interested in Jainism, don't start with Anikantvad, okay? Anikantvad is like the college course and you're not going to understand it. You're likely to misunderstand it and then you won't be interested in Jainism from that point forward. Uh, also, I'm going to make a controversial statement here and say, don't start with the five vows. Yes. Yes, me here. Yeah, thank you for your viewpoint. That's one of the reasons I came around and thought it was okay for children to memorize because adults are not going to memorize. So we might as well lay a foundation first and then if they become interested in Jainism when they're adults, they can learn the meaning of the sutras that they memorized. So I'm going to make a controversial statement and say the five vows are a bad place to start. The five vows are non-violence, non-lying, non-stealing, celibacy, and non-attachment. The reason I think they're a bad place to start is because you look at those and you say, oh, I do those things, you know? I don't kill animals. 
I don't lie. I don't steal. I don't have sex with anybody other than my spouse. I'm not too attached to things. I can maybe work on that. And you just forget about it. You say, oh, yeah, I'm a good person. And I don't need to learn more about it. But there's so much more about those things that you don't do, um, as, as we've discussed at length, that I really don't think it's a good place to start uh, with Jainism. So questions or comments about anything we talked about before we move to a new topic? All right, so Jintan has uh, secured a tentative date for lunch sponsorship. Can I get a show of hands to see if anybody wants to do a service project for adults class two practical applications of Jainism to sponsor lunch? Does anybody want us to sponsor lunch? Okay. So we have a good amount of people. Um, what I need is a commitment from four of you to uh, take leadership positions in this lunch sponsorship. Uh, I can't do it because I have to keep preparing for class. So um, I'm looking for a commitment for four uh, volunteers. That is, the first one has to be the person in charge. What does a person in charge do? They're committed to covering anybody who drops out or who doesn't fulfill their obligations. They're the whip that whips people into moving on certain action items. They ensure communication between the different committees. And they're the liaison to Chintin and the committee. Okay, that's the person in charge. Okay, the next three people are the subcommittee heads. Okay, the first one is the money person. They will collect all the money and disperse the money to the proper person at the proper time and make sure everybody pays the same amount and things like that. They, and they also secure the commitments for money. Okay, the second volunteer I need is the person in charge of the food purchase. That is, on the day of or the day before, so like February 4th or February 3rd or February 2nd, they're in charge of purchasing the food using the money that we have. Okay. So what the date then that February uh, February fourth is a lunch sponsorship date. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. And the third person I need is the theme and presentation per person. That is, it was very well received when we created a poster board saying why people should turn vegan. Um, it was very well received when we had other materials that. Uh, reinforced our theme. So the very least, I want you to make a poster board and then commit to uh, explaining the theme of the lunch. And I'm ready to do the theme of lunch is fasting, sponsored by Adults Class 2, but I don't know if you guys are ready for it. I don't know if the Jane Center is ready for it, but I am ready to do fasting theme. Okay, so um, I'm... Do we have any any volunteers for 